नमस्ते सो एज वी कैन सी द गीता एड्रेसेस द प्रॉब्लम ऑफ द प्रैक्टिकल मैन द प्रॉब्लम ऑफ मैन इन एवरीडे लाइफ इज दैट लाइफ प्रेजेंट्स वेरियस सिचुएशंस सर्कमस्टांसेस वेयर वी आर कॉल्ड अपॉन टू मेक ए चॉइस and sometimes time is too short to make a choice and it's uh, there is not enough time to sit in meditation and go and discover some philosophy so while it's good to be aware of philosophy and the background behind things but the first problem is that what to do at a given point of time how to make the choice the mother gave a very beautiful small little one vakya she in a way summarized it and she said to choose without preference and to execute without desire and the rest of the gita explains to us what it means to choose without preference and to execute without desire whatever it be man's first natural choice when he begins his journey of a long career through many lives out of the animal self is through desire that's what prods human beings to act before that there is instinct in animals we really can't use the word desire it's there but it takes the form of instinct but with human beings the sense of desire and desire takes forms in the thought mind and it asks us to act in certain ways and this creates a kind of life where every man begins to live for himself and for himself alone because desire is about that or at most if he includes others it is his progeny those with whom he is tied through blood or custom or uh, such natural extensions and therefore the law of desire he continues and quite naturally it needs not much thought this kind of a life is bound to create many 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 kinds of divisions within the larger unit of the world as long as our desires do not clash with somebody else's desires or better still feed each other's desires till then it is okay but the day they don't the whole life turns upside down you know like a top spinning on its head i don't know whether you have ever tried it or not right it's very interesting to see that <laughs> it takes quite an effort but it's another kind of game so as long as people satisfy each other desire and becomes the basis of all interest associations everything a mutual satisfaction of desire naturally this will lead to a disintegration of social order this this kind of an individuality or individual freedom can be disastrous to any uh, group life this is not really individuality because when we are acting on the basis of desire we are acting uh, under the impulsion of forces of which we have no idea the gita reveals to us the vast array of forces that are acting at any given point of time upon every human being primarily it later on says they are they are uh, devic and asuric forces and otherwise these forces can be categorized into three fold uh, three types of streams currents that touch human beings and according to that they act and to these three derived from the sankhya philosophy and of course shirobindo and the and shri krishna they are absolutely one with this that these three forces based on what is prominent man meets the challenge of life and that challenge takes the form of a battle it may be a mini battle it may be a big battle so the tamasic man who wants to avoid fight he simply bears the burden takes the load and he just shuts himself into a kind of denial of existence he doesn't want to look at existence in the face shobindo says uh, in essays on the gita to look at existence in the face is to look at god we don't like to look existence in the face so we are all the time coloring covering and it leads to a all kinds of warped formations in life ways of dealing with life but the tamasic man shrinks from the battle he doesn't want to 
undertake any kind of battle. He prefers to play the role of the um, donkey or the camel man who just bears the burden. It is a it it has its own place and poise. If you read the triple soul forces, this gives man the strength to endure. It it provides him a kind of peace and stability in the midst of everything <laughs> because he's just bearing. He is not pushing anything. And then comes the Rajasic kinetic man. He is driven by the Rajasic ego. Where he wants to affirm himself. He wants to assert his choice. Vis-a-vis somebody's choice. Then he engages in the battle and the strife. For victory of what he believes to be the right thing. Whether it is the right thing or not. We do not know. And at this point when the Rajasic law is predominates in a society there comes another kind of current of life, the sattvic. It is a rational mode which instinctively seeks harmony. Here also you don't want to engage in fight. Why? But because you want equilibrium and harmony. So you will see this in, um, in, in the Pandava's life. There are these uh, five Pandavas out of which Yudhishthir and Arjuna Particularly Yudhishthir, he wants the law of harmony. He is the, you know, Dharmraj. He doesn't want to fight, not because he cannot fight. He is a warrior, in his own right, a great warrior. After all, the fact remains that despite everything, he could not be captured. Okay, the great brothers were there, but he was himself a warrior. But he doesn't want to enter into, engage into a conflict which will lead to so much chaos and disorder. Arjuna also moves along those lines, but Arjuna has that prominent Rajagun. So he is Rajo Satvik in nature. He doesn't ordinarily shrink from battle, but he wants to fight a battle along the terms which are the right way to fight. He is like that because he is a Satvik man with a prominent Rajagun within him. And then along with that, there is the Tamogun. So Tamogun seeks to Avoid the fight and avoid the conflict. So the Gita starts with this state where he is, Arjuna is overcome by Tamogun. He is otherwise a fighter, warrior. But overcome by Tamogun, he says, what is the use of this fighting? It will lead to only disorder and chaos. And it is better that I don't fight. Maybe I take a Kamandalu and just go away somewhere. You know, you see when there is intense conflict and you want to make a choice of that kind where you avoid the fight, you avoid the conflict and this is one way that I withdraw from the entire field. So Arjuna wants to do that. And sure enough, Sri Krishna rebukes him. He admonishes him. And he admonishes him saying that, look here, uh, this does not behove your nature. So now that brings something else, a new element. So ordinarily, the law of desire is curved by the law of reason and the social order. So even when desires push us, there is the social order which is the overarching factor. And we can't do things which uh, the society doesn't approve or in the modern uh, sense, the state doesn't admit because you will be either put behind bars or something like that. You will be ostracized or you will be punished. You know, we had a very, in in, uh, in the military, uh, we had a very interesting kind of clause. You'll, you'll laugh at it. When we read it, uh, one of the first clause we were told when we joined as a young flying officer and flight left, we were told, this you must remember, Section 44 of the Armed Forces Act. You can be punished for stealing a fellow officer's wife's affection. <laughs> We wondered what it means. How do you steal? <laughs> now that is a social order. It kept, you know, because see, now you understand why it is there. Because men travel. You have seen that famous Nanavati case movie. So people go out. See how social order develops. Uh, men can be posted elsewhere. And this is a time when many times a family is left behind. And she's not in her home, nor in her parents' home, but in a unit where there are other officers. And therefore, this was a law which will punish you if you... And the punishment can be pretty severe. You can be even censured, you can be, you know, uh, taken out of service. 
so that way social order tries to maintain an equilibrium so what it leads to it leads to a kind of life which is private and another life which is public so it breeds a kind of hypocrisy which is not a good state then on top of it there are people who say so gita teaches us something else what is what does it teach according to the western scholars not what should be say it says no duty is the consideration that you must give not social and nothing but duty so what is duty duty is you are given a task you are at a place you must be true to your task whatever task is given but who appoints the duty the society appoints the duty and then shrivindu questions this that supposing a judge it's his duty to send somebody to gallows but what if he undergoes a heart change and begins to feel that punishing somebody by sending to the gallows is not the right thing to do under any circumstances so there is an external law of conduct duty which is given to man and the gita summarily rejects it he says that's a conception of the modern mind the western mind reads into the gita why it reads it it doesn't want to bring in the principle of god who has given the duty it is the society has given and you have to fulfill and follow it but there is another kind of duty kartavyam karma in the true sense which is what work for which god has appointed us and where is it written how does he appoint us to a particular work it is through swadharma it shows up inside in certain tendencies in certain uh, you know approaches to life and the task of education is to bring out of the child this intrinsic swadharma which is there within him and this swadharma is not like a standard uniform see duty is something standard uniform everybody who has come to you know finishes mbbs and md or mbbs becomes a doctor now it is his duty but his he may not be in his own sudharma really meant to be a doctor so that's where another kind of disparity comes in now this task of education is to bring out the true sudharma of a child and that is what is called in um, what mother has spoken so beautifully free progress principle what is free progress mother defined it very beautifully nowhere have i find such a uh, have i found such a beautiful one line description of swadharma it is progress which depends upon your soul that's unfolding of the swadharma so the gita says not duty but swadharma what task for which the task for which god has appointed you but why this is very difficult for western scholars to admit is because and that's where we'll read we are told continually by many authoritative voices which include somebody as great as bankim chandra that the gita opposing in this the ordinary ascetic and quietistic tendency of indian thought and spirituality proclaims with no uncertain sound the gospel of human action the ideal of disinterested performance of social duties nay even it would seem the quite modern ideal of social service ek bar once you get into the net of social <laughs> net you have to just follow that doesn't matter to all this i can only reply that very patently and even on the very surface of it the gita does nothing of the kind and that this is a modern misreading a reading of the modern mind into an ancient book of the present day european or europeanized intellect into a thoroughly antique a thoroughly oriental and indian teaching so what is gita teaching us if not the disinterested performance of social duty see how many those whatsapp gyan of gita goes like that you must do your duty if you are in family look after your family that's your duty the gita says so poor krishna must be wondering i myself never asked arjuna to do it <laughs> these people are doing in my name he himself when you see he is in the war in the battle of kurukshetra he is a child who is small a grandchild and he leaves him in fact he is uh, taken away uh, 
there is a parallel story going on during the Mahabharata war. And yet, Sri Krishna knows this is his place where he should be. Socially, he is not doing something which is the right thing to do. And yet he does it. And that to killing Kansa, his own maternal uncle. So, this is where Shubhinda brings in this beautiful aspect of the Gita. That which the Gita teaches is not a human but a divine action. Not the performance of social duties but the abandonment of all other standards of duty or conduct for a selfless performance of the divine will working through a nature not social service but the action of the best the God possessed the master men done impersonally for the sake of the world and is a sacrifice to him who stands behind man and nature. This is what Sri Krishna teaches us. In other words, the Gita is not a book of practical ethics, but of the spiritual life. So you see many modern renderings of the Gita, talks, books, where everything is there except one thing needful. Now I've had these, uh, once I remember in one of the seminars, it was a seminar on Indian psychology. It took place in Delhi. And all kinds of interesting things and you know, all kinds of scholarly wisdom. So when my turn came, I asked, all this is very good. But where is the soul and where is God in all this? We are afraid even to use the word. Don't talk about soul. Up till gunas is okay. Talk about mukti, which is a kind of nebulous state, <laughs> which nobody has experienced. I mean, nobody knows but says this is what Indian. But there is no God, there is no soul. To talk about surrender to God, grace, all this is considered, considered like an anathema. So he says, but the point here is that the modern mind has exiled from its practical motive power the two essential things. God or the eternal and spirituality or the God state which are the master conceptions of the Gita. It lives in humanity only, the modern mind. And the Gita would have us live in God. Brahmabhut, that's how it says that. You know, you must be filled, Madhbhava, Madgata. How beautiful words to be intoxicated in that God state. To be driven by that which is eternal, true. Ultimate. Though for the world in God, in its life, heart and intellect only, and the Gita would have us live in the spirit, in the mutable being, that modern mind is contrasting with, who is all creatures, and the Gita would have us live also in the immutable and the supreme. In the changing march of time and the Gita would have us live in the eternal. See, it's so interesting. One of the things which I have often seen in life very practically. And if you really see it, something very, very, uh, just a little observation. In life, a lot of problems come when we have to make a choice. And these choices can be seen from two angles, vertically. Vertically in the sense that they are either evolutionary or they are retrogressive. Progressive or retrogressive. That's how one can look at it. If you become very impersonal and look at it, don't involve all the emotions and you know thoughts, structures, opinions. And you can see one thing is opening the door to everybody's progress, the other is retrogressive. And the second way is horizontally from the depths. And there you see the choice is between that which is transient and temporary vis-a-vis that which is permanent and eternal. There is a kind of action or choice which helps us come in contact with the eternal. This is a very difficult choice. And there is another where we, the stress is on the temporary and the transient. Eternal is in the background. Like every day we pray to God. And God is inside the cupboard. You open the cupboard. Sometimes he, now God has become a little more assertive. <laughs> Otherwise he was always a little backseat driver. So nowadays you see it becomes like, okay, you can put some photographs and all that. Otherwise, God in the cupboard can write a little novel on that. And you open 
एंड डू प्रणाम अगरबत्ती प्लीज लुक आफ्टर माई लाइफ एवरीथिंग आफ्टर दैट यू गो आउट इन लाइफ एंड जस्ट लीड द नॉर्मल ऑर्डनरी लाइफ चूजिंग ऑल द टाइम द ट्रांजियंट टेम्पररी ओवर द इटर्नल वेर एज द गीता वुड हैव अस लिव इन द इटर्नल और इफ दीज हायर थिंग्स आर नॉट बिगिनिंग टू बी वेगली एंड विश्वास इट इज ओनली टू मेक दम सबसर्वियंट टू मैन एंड सोसाइटी but god and spirituality exist in their own right and not as adjuncts so even when we turn to god we accept that there is god there is spiritual life but it is still subservient why should you do yoga because it makes you body and mind fit the thing stops there what do you do with a fit and mind body that's your problem a fit body and a fit mind can be a very powerful instrument for the asura in man you have a strong body clever mind and a valiant social order and you have a pack of wolves because the spirit is missing so it is not about just mind and body not even about just a social order but it's about something else which is seeking to manifest itself this is the central conception about indian thought that life is a manifestation of the divine that's what leela is about and whatever helps to manifest that's to be done and in practice the lower in us must learn to exist for the higher in order that the higher also may in us consciously exist for the lower to draw it nearer to its own altitudes therefore it is a mistake to interpret the gita from the standpoint of mentality and today of today and force it to teach us the disinterested performance of duty as the highest and all sufficient law so this is not what gita teaches gita is about kartavyam karma this kartavya is not appointed by the ignorance of human standard it is not about um, a lady getting married and then now you know there was one say Uh, catholic couple who came to me and you know it's very difficult to separate because marriage is made in heaven only heaven can separate it and heaven has written two three points and very difficult to prove even those points so the man came and said this is what is written in our book she has to follow it obey it i said this is very strange i said something is missing so i asked the lady she said hasn't he shown what is written about in the book about women and men what men should do i said no he has conveniently hid that all that fact so this is how we try to create a social order the do's and don'ts but the divine cannot be fixed in any formula of wisdom which the human mind has captured at a point of time then it becomes petrified there is something at a given point of time which even a divine revelation brings but even that moves forward look at the beauty of it because people will say yes yes uh, khuda ka farman hai allah ka farman hai it's there in our holy book yes but even holy books get dated the only thing that doesn't get dated which is always new and ever refreshing himself with the refresh button <laughs> and that is the divine impulsion in man parshuram is god avatar try doing it take a farsa and say i am a devotee of parshuram and i am going to behead everybody try doing it no but people will say yes he is god but rama is a greater god he came to teach to subordinate this tremendous vital rajasic impulsion to destroy evil by bringing it under the control of an illuminate illumined reason don't indiscriminately destroy it but if you do that still it creates problem so krishna comes and says yes what rama says is right but you know there is something still greater because there will be dilemmas which you cannot solve by just the law of the illumined reason rama himself see ramayana itself shows the limitations when there is a choice between abandoning sita and you know declaring that all is good and therefore she stays the raj dharma of that time could not resolve the issue either which way rama would have been caught so shri krishna had to come and he says no there is a greater law 
it is neither about society nor about the dhobi nor about yourself it's about a greater truth which will manifest is a very beautiful saying of shirbindo everything is beautiful one of the says he says why christ came he came to replace the law of moses what is the law of moses i for an i and a tooth for a tooth those days probably i and tooth were the only targets you know and then came our own <laughs> mr christ saying a cheek another cheek for one cheek says <laughs> that's not even christ didn't teach that christ didn't teach that but anyways the law of christ which is greater he taught that forgiveness compassion is a greater law than moses and he came in the same people this aspect of evolutionary dimension which we find so strongly as a current in indian life can only be followed if we discover the divine within there is no second way that's why it is so needful that's why the entire gita runs through 18 chapters and arjuna is asked to discover the divine within his heart and then act under that so shubindra says there are in the world in fact two different laws of conduct each valid valid in its own plane the rule principally dependent on external status and the rule independent of status and entirely dependent on the thought and conscience the gita does not teach us to subordinate the higher plane to the lower it does not ask the awakened moral consciousness to slay itself on the altar of duty as a sacrifice and victim to the law of the social status so what should have the nazi soldiers done the call of duty was to follow hitler that was dependent on external status but the higher law is no it is unethical this is not something which we should be doing so he says always the higher lower has to be subordinate to the higher and so on and so forth it calls us higher and not lower from the conflict of the two planes it bids us ascend to a supreme poise above the mainly practical above the purely ethical to the brahmic consciousness it replaces the conception of social duty by divine obligation so the first task is to follow this divine impulsion to discover the divine within until we do that all else will remain in the realm of speculation and then there is a very beautiful chapter in the beginning the core of the gita's teachings so what is the core of the gita's teaching what the great the supreme word of the gita is it's mahavakya we have not to seek for the gita itself declares it in its last utterance so gita speaks of three secrets even if you forget all other respect three secrets so the first secret is god's descent in humanity it's a great secret the upanishads don't speak about it the vedas don't speak about it how is it relevant because it is that which sets the next yug dharma for man he opens the door for the next step forward for the masses for the collectivity god assuming a human body so that we can ascend to that state which you know to reproduce that truth of krishna hood christhood or buddha hood within ourselves so this first secret second is god dwells within the human body this sounds so simple but just imagine to really live one day with this truth can change our life completely one we are never alone as the mother says my child you are never alone he is always with you have faith and he will do everything for you god dwells within the human body and one can find those who do not know it they despise it like the asuras they torture the body how do they torture the body every abuse we hurl every alcohol sip that we take drinks and smoke and that atmosphere what are we doing we are torturing the god inside he can't run away is the same thing which i keep on saying once it was a pitiable sight my one so many times to have a communication with the gods and one was in pune when i was behind my scooter was stuck because there was a ganpati uh, festival and ganpati was going ahead and i had a quiet communication i said it's not about my scooter i'll find a way but i 
I can find a way, but you can't run away from this torture which your own disciples are inflicting upon you with Bollywood songs and half-drunken dances. I said, poor you. But I have that tender feeling for you. That's what I said. We exchanged a smile. That I have. Just imagine God has to be made to sit from morning, four o'clock. Somebody said, asked me, why the ashram gates close at 11.30 or 11 o'clock? And then open at 4. It should be open 24 hours. So in a semi-humorous way, I said, have a heart, yaar. God go be rest lene do, thoda to. <laughs> Let him at least have some respite. Otherwise, all the time, all the time. I mean, this is a humorous way of saying. But, you know, it's needed. You know, you have to cleanse and everything. Inwardly, his doors are always open. But when he comes for the Leela and look at mother's life, hardly any respite in her own life. Thanks to us human beings. That's why there is a very beautiful... Today somebody had sent a flower, a rose, for which mother has given a very interesting name. Tender feelings for the divine. Tender love for the divine. And once there is a conversation, when the mother held the rose, this rose, and she says, My God, this is such a beauty. You don't find it up there. And... How much I would like to take it to my super heavens. All the time we are asking, asking, asking. We have a thought. Poor fellow. And especially when the divine takes a human body. What he must be suffering just to be in the body. Tender feelings for the divine. So what is this? So this is the second. What is the third utterance? Which is the greatest secret? That's what Sri is going to reveal to us. The crowning note of the great diapason. With the Lord in thy heart, take refuge with all thy being. By his grace, thou shalt attain to the supreme peace and the eternal status. Sarva dharman paritya jamame kam sharnamraja. At the end of the day, when nothing you can see, those lines in Savitri, whatever the appearance we must bear, when nothing we can see but drift and bail, a mighty guidance leads us still through all. So at the end of the day, surrender is the last word of the Gita. So have I expounded to thee a knowledge more secret than that which is hidden. Further hear the most secret, the supreme word that I shall speak to thee. Become my minded, devoted to me. To me do sacrifice and adoration. Infallibly thou shalt come to me, for dear to me art thou. All our life we try to please human beings. The result is not zero, minus one. <laughs> you know that story of Shurabindo when somebody said, I have done, you know, this fellow criticizes me so much, this, that. Shurabindo says, Oh. Uh, then you must have done some good to him. <laughs> then he yes, he's there in the letter. And he quotes Ishwar Chandavidya Sagar. Haven't you heard his story? He says, if somebody is criticizing you, perhaps you have done some good to him. That's why he is criticizing you. <laughs> so, <laughs> it becomes minus one. Otherwise, you know, it may be zero. Who bothers? But if you do some good, then there is like, okay, this he did, this he didn't do. Then comes the whole catch in the rigmarole. So he says, become my minded. That's why the mother gave this in a very different way. See, the same secret, how she gives. She says, she gives very practically. We are not here to please ourselves. We are not here to please others. We are here to please the Lord. So, Shubindu says, the Gita says, become my minded, devoted to me. To me, do sacrifice and adoration. Anyways, we'll talk about the law of sacrifice. You cannot live this life without sacrificing. Even if you don't want to sacrifice, it's extracted from you. You can't, you have to go even if you take the transaction of money. You have to give to get something. This is the law of this universe. But depending on whom you sacrifice, when you sacrifice for little goods, for kith and kin and family, the good also that comes is a limited perishable good. 
And when you sacrifice to the eternal, to God, then the eternal grows in us. This is the teaching of the Gita. So he says, sacrifice. And it doesn't matter what act you are doing. That action may be there to start with. But sacrifice to the eternal. So this is the law. To me, do sacrifice and adoration. Infallibly, thou shalt come to me, for dear to me art thou. Abandoning all laws of conduct, seek refuge in me alone. I will release thee from all sin. Do not grieve. And when we don't follow this supreme secret, seek refuge in him alone. And to souls that are ready, he makes sure that he has no option left. <laughs> he will close all doors. Ultimately, you have to seek refuge in him alone. He will make it like this. See, Vibhishana was all the time remembering Rama, wanting to take refuge one day, but he said, what to do? I am attached. And this all said and done. There are a lot of comforts in Ravana's Lanka. Every morning, you have free rations, supply and everything is free. Even yoga is free. Somebody will come to your home and teach yoga if you want. This is the latest in the freebies. Everything is free in, in Lanka. There is so much gold. If you take just one little chip, you travel out. That time, America must be under Mayan civilization and all that. Now, Lanka was so rich. So he says, I know that this fellow, but I... My love is only for Rama. But what to do? I wish I could take surrender in at Rama's feet. He confesses this to Hanuman. Hanuman says, how are you living here? He says, Ram, 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 Ram. He says, what to tell you, Hanuman? I am living as a tongue lives surrounded by the teeth. Hanuman is heard. You tell something to Hanuman, Rama hears. You see, this is the story. You tell something to the Bhakta, the Lord knows. There is even in Shiva legends, there is the stories that you... Shiva is in trance. Better don't disturb him. If you disturb him, you don't know, third eye may open. Which is for your good, ultimately, if Kama is destroyed, what more you need? But still, you know, along with Kama, your existence may be destroyed. So it is said that you go to Nandi, who is quietly seated. He is also in trance, but his trance is a little different because he had to keep a vigil. Who is coming, who is not coming. So his trance is a very different kind of trance. So that as the legion goes, you whisper into the ears of Nandi. And Shiva hears in his trance. So that is the logic of all things. That live for God, be full of Him. Abandoning all laws of conduct, seek refuge in me alone. I will release thee from all sin, do not grieve. So he will make sure at the end of the journey that this is what happens. So this is the about the basic about uh, the Gita's tone. But there is in Gita Kurushetra, and the Gita starts with that Dharma Shetra, Kurushetra, Sambhita Yotsava. Why the Gita has to why it's the setting itself is so strange. It's not in an ashrama. It's not through our dialectics that, you know, people are sitting and discussing over a cup of tea that we'll have a break, whole lecture series on Gita. And, you know, in between you can have juice break. The Gita is not given like that. It is given to a kinetic man who in the middle of a crisis, in a war-like situation, suddenly says, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like fighting the battle. What am I supposed to do? And then the Gita starts in the actual setting of a real war. And then we wonder... What is all this war, battle, destruction? And Sri reminds us what Heraclitus said, war is the father of things. See? How interesting. What is war if you look at one way? If you want status quo, there is no war. moment you want to advance, it is a struggle between the past and the present. And in human body language, it is revealed. You want to move forward? What is the foot you move forward? Left. You plant it firmly. Now if you say that I am not going to dip the right foot and place it forward, you will remain stuck. You have to lift it and move it forward. The moment you move it forward, something is left behind. And that left behind doesn't let you go easily. It ties itself like chains like fetters. 
So all war is an effort for the future to be born against the past that seeks to endure. And sometimes it takes a very terrible form. And human mind cannot accept this uh, aspect of God. This very appalling. So what it does, it says war, destruction, they are all evil. And there is a terrible fellow who does all this. And God is all good. He sits in his calm heaven, cloud nine. You will see always those pictures of uh, films of God made in the western context. So there will be God who is a very nice person, who is only a benevolent person, who gives. Heaven is also very nice. But Indian conception of God includes this terrible aspect of destruction. So we have Kali who destroys. We have Shiva who is Tandav. Better not to have. Because if he does Tandav, then worlds will fall. But even Krishna is no less. Because now he is playing the Basri and it's beautiful. You are dancing to the tune. Suddenly he will vanish. And if you try to chase him, he will say, come with me to Kurukshetra. War and destruction, they are part of life. So, Shurabindu reveals to us, what is this Kurukshetra and the battle of life? And something very interesting, that why the Gita was given to Arjuna? It is precisely because he has not shrunk from this aspect of life. If you shrink from this aspect of life, you are unfit for the Gita. You may know everything, but if you shrink from this terrible aspect of life, you cannot. So here, Shabindu reveals to us something very Life, a battle and a field of death This is Kurukshetra God, the terrible This is the vision that Arjuna sees On the field of the massacre All which seems to show That there is an element in existence Perhaps the initial element Which we do not know how to conquer Either because it cannot be conquered Or because we have not looked at it With a strong and impartial gaze so as to recognize it calmly and to look existence in the face is to look God in the face. For the two cannot be separated, nor the responsibility for the laws of world existence be shifted away from him who created them or from that which constituted is. Shurabindo, that way is one God, if I want to put it that way, who accepts that, okay, ultimate, the last buck stops with the divine. And therefore, if you want the permanent solution, you have to turn back to the divine. You know, Chutnaranji, that story, that a person wants to meet Shiva. Why? Because he has heard Shiva can give all kinds of boons. He is quick to please. And as he goes, what do you meet before Shiva? You meet Vasuki. Vasuki is not an ordinary serpent. He is the king of serpents. How do you tackle him? And he just, just uh, simply simply looks at this man and he is filled with poison and he starts running away here there looking for one person and the person and everybody tries to treat him somebody asks which serpent what happened to you he says no I was going to Shiva and he had a serpent and his very breath has filled poison in my being so that man says fool if it is Shiva's serpent the treatment is with Shiva don't run here and there so the logic is very simple. This world belongs to God. And if the world has tormented you, turn to God. That's what the Gita puts it in a different way, no? So beautifully. Anityam asukham lokam bhajasamam. Now why it is there, that's a different thing altogether. But right now, Yet here too we love to palliate and equivocate. We erect a God of love and mercy, a God of good, a God just, righteous and virtuous, according to our own moral conceptions of justice, virtue and righteousness. And all the rest we say is not he or is not his, but was made by some diabolical power which he suffered for some reason to work out its wicked will or by some dark ahariman counterbalancing our gracious almost know this uh, Persian philosophy or was even the fault of selfish and sinful man who has spoiled what was made originally perfect by God this is how we try to explain away God says hold on 
I'm there. I take responsibility. Don't rush to, don't become so responsible about everything. I'm there. I'm there. Hold on. As if man had created the law of death and devouring in the animal world, or the tremendous process by which nature creates indeed and preserves, but in the same step and by the same inextricable action slays and destroys. It is only a few religions which have had the courage to say without any reserve, like the Indian. that this enigmatic world power is one deity one trinity to lift up the image of the force that acts in the world in the figure not only of the beneficent durga but of the terrible kali in her blood stained dance of destruction and to say this too is the mother this also know to be god this too if thou hast the strength endure so this is the image setting of the geeta in the battlefield so if that comes before us it is bound to come no evolution can be without that so what are we supposed to do and that's where comes the master word of the geeta the first part where the mind recoils from the problem and says no i can't handle it this is too much okay you have become destruction destroy me if you want but don't i cannot do anything i am paralyzed i have no choice that is the state of arjuna he is completely dejected see very interestingly geeta's first chapter starts with vishad yoga and if you look at in savitri the book of yoga starts with the joy of union the ordeal of the four knowledge and grief and pain vishad yoga where you are pushed to a wall where you just don't know what to do and how to choose so what is to be done in such a situation it starts from there arjuna says i am done with this is not what i signed up for it's not for this that i acquired all the pashupatastra and brahmastra and all the deadly weapons not to destroy my own people but to save them to safeguard them and today i stand at this juncture where i have to shoot these deadly missiles at none else but my most loved ones venerated ones respected one bhishma and drona and my own brothers and kin for them i would use these missiles and weapons so it's a strange war where he is called upon to fight against his very own kith and kin and that is the time when arjuna says that losing the the former is the first impulse of arjuna recoiling from the calamitous culmination of all his heroic activity in the great cataclysm of battle and massacre kurukshetra losing his whole past principle of action in action and the rejection of life and its claims seem to him the only issue but it is to an inner superiority and not to the physical renunciation of life and action that is called by the voice of the divine teacher how does the argument proceed when arjuna says i cannot fight any more it proceeds along two lines first of course he awakens arjuna what kind of nonsense is this now <laughs> this is the time when men have called you as their hero to fight and it's not just an individual choice if you make this choice many will withdraw from the battle and this is going to be calamitous and then he says two lines first he says unreality of death by any which logic you use if there is no god there is no death why because anyways forms are destroyed they go into a state of energy and new forms are built what's the big deal about it what's the big to do about it even surviving what does it mean an ephemeral creature just like a worm and you want to survive so he says everything that comes into existence passes away from existence it goes into a formless state of energy it's a law of life and why are you grieving for a law of life in which case even this idea of papa punya all this is no meaning if there is no divine principle in life and if there is a divine immortal principle in life then also why you are grieving it doesn't die nothing can cleave it nothing can destroy it it will come back it will shine all these warriors they will return in better bodies with better minds this duryodhana who is such a fighter cock he will come back 
and after this battle chastened by this experience will come back and he'll be at least a little nearer to bhima allow him that process but if you don't slay him he'll all his life remain an arrogant king so either which way he says that if you look at it purely from the materialist standpoint which is a kind of standpoint which let's say sankhya philosophy even buddhist philosophy seems to allude to not exactly but this is how it is understood this is all nature see if all is nature it's okay nature will create and destroy and if all is not nature there is a purusha there is a divine principle within it then again it is it remains immortal so it proceeds along these two lines and then it says since either which way you look at it recoil and from the specter of death has no meaning so you must act but on what basis you must act and that's where we see the grand opening of the gita it starts from it is the god appointed task given to you this is not what you should shrink from and that's what we'll read and close with that shubhendra puts it very powerful and that's what i say you know if you read it in the gita the impact is not the way when you read it from shubhendra so the gita says rebukes him uh, kayar cleave you know he all kinds of name calling to arjuna arjuna says okay sir <laughs> you know like our amrita mother scolds him like this and is quietly smiling somebody says amrit mother is scolding you yes i know <laughs> why are you smiling because she is scolding me what do you mean because she thinks i am so close to her that she can scold me otherwise she will not scold me because she knows that whatever she does to me i will still accept it and surrender to her will and be happy with what she gives so she can scold me don't you see my logic <laughs> so first krishna gives all kinds of rebukes and arjuna quietly says okay <laughs> okay tell me what to what to do i am surrendered to you shishyasthe am sadhimam i cannot fight now you tell me what is to be done and there comes the words of the master of yoga the master of works the lord of the sacrifice shri krishna the magnificent majestic not just the baake bihari and but also hare murari you know how does the name murari comes most people associated with it you know nice hey krishna govind hare murari the murari word comes because he was the destroyer of the demon called mura hare murari and chakrapani he comes now there is something grand going to happen and it starts with this word of shurbindo it is the creed of the aryan fighter what is the aryan fighter now it is very interesting how indian society organized of course destruction destructive impulses are not very good that way i mean violence is never a good thing so what the indian social order said there are people with very violent impulses it channelized them into the kshatriya type so war and all this was for the kshatriya see in the war you will see sometimes brahmins like dronacharya have come kripacharya but otherwise was kshatriya who fought the battle and the kshatriya had a code of conduct kshatriya had a rigorous training so it perfected a type of humanity which had these strong impulses driven by rajas and ambition but it used it towards maintaining a social order this was the beauty of the indian social order that it gave place to everybody and everything and did not create a blanket no war all peace so when countries started doing that kind of blanket thing panch seal agreement why because we are land of buddha you are also land of buddha he said thank you so much now we'll walk into you you've given us a cake walk or when people started saying you know all this is maya moh so the arabs came yes you live in maya moh we take we, we want the real world what is real to our senses so this is what happened but in indian thought the kshatriya was always there to protect to save the righteous all those people with such inner strength and warrior like impulses had to be turned in this direction of course when they went past through this stage then the next direction was victory over yourself but first one had to be the fighter <laughs> not suryasingham <laughs> but uh, something like that 
<laughs> the fighter, the warrior man. It is the creed of the Aryan fighter. Now Shirbindo. And he says it's the answer of a hero to a hero. Now who is telling him? It's not just uh, God who is very cozily sitting in his chamber and saying, Come soul, you will have peace and rest in me. Not that. He has descended on the battlefield of Kurukshetra as the hero, the leader of the march of mankind and stands at the center. And so what does he say? It is the creed of the Aryan fighter. No God, it says. First is no God. Know thyself. Help man. See, before know thyself. Remember what is, where does this teaching come from? Know yourself, love your neighbor. To what levels Shurabindu has taken it? No. Know God. Without knowing Him, you cannot know even yourself. Know God. Know thyself. Who are you really in this mortal frame? What is the evolutionary impulsion in you? Help man. Protect the right. Do without fear of weakness or faltering thy work of battle in the world. Thou art the eternal and imperishable spirit. Thy soul is here on its upward path to immortality. Life and death are nothing. The creed of the Aryan fighter. You know, when he, till he had fought a battle and endured wounds, he was regarded as a bacha. He is not yet young. He had to face a battle. You know, this cultivating the the Kshatriya type was so important to a nation. In Japan, it was the samurai. This was the type of humanity. Life and death are nothing. Sorrow and wounds and suffering are nothing. For these things have to be conquered and overcome. They are part of life. No God is assuring us. You know, you fight the battle, you won't. I'll make sure that every arrow that comes will whiz past magically. <laughs> it won't touch you, huh? Don't. It will touch you. You may bleed, bleed tears of blood if necessary. Know that this body can be pierced, but not the soul. Endure it. That's what creates the real hero warrior. That's why people don't swear by the name of Arjuna. Great he is but by the name of Abhimanyu when it comes to valor. Abhimanyu jaisa veer. Arjuna is powerful, mighty. Not a single warrior like him. But Abhimanyu is veer because he has that veerius. He fights as if death doesn't exist. That is what he asks us. Look not at thy own pleasure and gain and profit whether I'll win, lose, what will be the benefit to me. But above and around, above at the shining summits to which thou climbest, around at this world of battle and trial, in which good and evil, progress and retrogression are locked in stern conflict. This is the battle, progress and retrogression, good and evil. And they are so much intertwined that it's not easy to recognize the two. Progress is not just about our human conceptions of good and bad, but something totally different. One which leads towards a greater harmony, a greater reign of dharma. And the other which may look very nice, a good option, but it will lead to a further degeneration of society. Men call to thee, their strong man, their hero for help. Help then, fight. Destroy when by destruction the world must advance. And mind you, Shrivinder is not talking about private battles. At one point he says in one of his aphorisms, while it's not a good thing to fight private battles, but public battles do not shun if such be the need of the hour. Private battles, Samji kya bola nahi bola, ye important event. Public, when there is something greater good which is involved, then you must 
be ready to take the arms destroy when by destruction the world must advance but hate not that which thou destroyest neither grieve for all those who perish know everywhere the one self know all to be immortal souls and the body to be but dust do thy work with a calm strong and equal spirit fight and now comes something very beautiful fight and fall nobly or conquer mightily so there is some nobility when you fight for a greater cause to fight for yourself just your little petty issues is ignoble at one place mother says something very interesting somebody has been very rough with the subordinates and she says while there is some merit and some sense of nobility when you fight your superiors but when you are you know oppress your subordinates it is very poor <laughs> poor fellows you know they have no choice and she says there is some nobility when you speak up <laughs> against your superior she doesn't even qualify she says when you speak up it's there in a collected works there is some nobility that the man has guts and courage to speak what is not the right thing see that rk talwar story you must be knowing no devotee of shirbind and the mother who finally came here and settled he was the chief of the uh, reserve bank of india what is it called governor and that time then government uh, sanjay gandhi indra gandhi they wanted him to do something and he refused so they tried to put pressure on him to sign otherwise you know consequences he said what consequences i am ready to go today if necessary so he was asked to resign by the then finance minister and he smilingly put up his papers and when he was going the, there was a farewell impromptu because within two days he has to leave the office and there was an instant farewell so they all were sympathizing one of his good friends said we are very sorry that this happened you said why it is god's grace i have been wanting to go and serve the mother and it has come this way don't you see it is her grace and he came here he lived here and he said something very interesting he said i don't want to join the ashram this first hand information from this is rk talwar he said i don't want to join the ashram because you know they will send me to dining room and <laughs> whatever i will serve the mother in my own way what i am meant for so he opened a consultancy service and quite a bit of money used to come those days i think uh, now you know which days i am speaking of indira gandhi sanjay gandhi and all that around the emergency whatever 1 lakh or something the entire money he would give yeah, i don't want anything just dining room food that's enough but this is how i will serve her let's look at it so there are ways we cannot put things into a stock standard formula and this is the courage of that man that you know he could tell his superior the highest office in the country everybody was afraid he said no this is not acceptable i don't do it that's it end of the story you will find all this is public domain in the net worth reading fight and fall nobly or conquer mightily for this is the work that god and thy nature have given to thee to accomplish i'll read it again and then we'll stop and then from this point the real entire gita opens up it is the creed of the aryan fighter no god it says know thyself help man protect the right do without fear of weakness or faltering thy work of battle in the world thou art the eternal and imperishable spirit thy soul is here on its upward path to immortality life and death are nothing sorrow and wounds and suffering are nothing for these things have to be conquered and overcome look not at thy own pleasure and gain and profit but above all but above and around above at the shining summits to which thou climbest around at this world of battle and trial in which good and evil progress and retrogression are locked in stern conflict men call to thee their strong man their hero for help help them fight this is the creed of the aryan fighter help them 
Fight. Destroy when by destruction the world must advance. But hate not that which thou destroyest. Neither grieve for all those who perish. Know everywhere the oneself. Know all to be immortal souls and the body to be but dust. Do thy work with a calm, strong and equal spirit. Fight and fall nobly or conquer mightily. For this is the work that God and thy nature has given to thee, have given to thee to accomplish. This is the work we are here to do. The sadharma, the impulsion of God within us. And not some kind of a social obligation and duty and all that rigmarole and maze in which human nature is caught. When mother was asked, duty towards divine and others. She said, those who have turned to the divine have no other social duty or any other duty except to serve the divine. 